0: Welcome to the Stork Storytime Podcast at the North Liberty Community Library. Are you expecting or thinking of starting a family? If so, this podcast is for you. Just as it's never too late to develop a love of reading, it's never too early either. Hello, my name is Jennifer Jordebrek and I'm the Assistant Director at the North Liberty Community Library.
1: Hello, I'm Melanie Harrison, the Program and Marketing Coordinator at the North Liberty Library. We'd like
0: to welcome our guest speakers today, Jeannie Wade Nagel and Carrie Christensen. Jeannie and Carrie work at the Grantwood a- AEA, which is Area Education Agency. This organization works to improve the learning outcomes and well being of all children and youth in their service area. Thanks for taking some time to talk with us today.
1: You are welcome, and thank you for having us. Welcome to our podcast, Jeannie and Carrie. Before we talk about Grantwood AEA, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and your jobs?
2: Um, I'm Carrie Christensen, and I'm a service coordinator for Early Access, Um, so I coordinate all the services um, with families um, that's in my area, Um, and I serve the North Liberty area and a little bit of Coralville. And I'm Jeannie Wade-Nagel. I supervise our early
3: education services, our birth to five services at Grantwood AEA, which includes Early Access, but also some early childhood services as well.
0: Wonderful. Sounds great. Um, Can you please explain for us, I heard you mention, Carrie, um, about the service area that you served. Can you explain what that is, please?
3: We have about 12 service coordinators, and I assign them geographically, and basically dependent upon the um, population and, and how many referrals we have in that area. I try to watch numbers so that the numbers are kept somewhat even, but Carrie serves in the North Liberty area. Um, I usually assign people by school district because that's how AEAs operate. And so we have three service coordinators working in the Iowa City school district area. But I assign within that, well, we work together just to kind of mm-hmm. look at numbers. And, and so Carrie has North Liberty, there's another one that has kind of the western part of Iowa City and another that has the eastern part of Iowa City. And then we cover seven counties. So I've got we've got service coordinators in all of those areas, and then and it just depends. One, you know, we may have several, like in Iowa City, where we have several within one school district. But we have several service coordinators who cover multiple school districts because they're small, and there may only be one or two or three children in early access within those school boundaries. Wonderful.
0: Okay. And so then in the state of Iowa, if any of our listeners are um, outside of the North Liberty area, Grant Wood covers the whole state of Iowa. Is that correct? No, we cover seven counties. There
3: are nine AEAs, or Area Education Agencies, throughout the state. And because um, Birth to Three is not served within school districts, the AEAs cover the educational and support services for early access. It is... um, Throughout federal law, there's early intervention is required for children birth to three as part of the IDEA, the um, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and AEAs are an intermediary agency between the Department of Education and school districts, but like I said, since school districts don't have programs for birth to three, the
0: AEAs provide those services. Okay, that, yeah, makes that makes sense. sense. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you for clarifying that for us um, and our listeners. I was uh, taking a look at your website um, as we were preparing mm-hmm. for this podcast. I um, really like your mission, which is to ensure success for all learners. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that dovetails very nicely with what our library mission is as well. Um, and you do you were mentioning schools, so yes. you're working and partnering with the schools too.
3: Yes as i said you know we work with the birth to 3 year olds but all of those 3 year olds eventually get to be 5 you know and enter kindergarten and sometimes they enter school earlier than that as preschoolers and sometimes earlier than 4 but at 3 if they're on an iep an individualized education plan and i don't have exact statistics but i would guess 80 to 90% of our children in early access go on to an iep as a 3 year old
0: um, so you would mentioned then about um, partnering with the schools, um, so that's good to know for um, any of our parents that are listening with older children, so they can get in touch with their schools as well mm-hmm. uh, for additional support. Uh, we are today going to focus on the early access part of the services, um, which you would mentioned were from birth to three years of age. Yes. Okay, and how would a parent... Um, if they felt, how would they get in touch with you, or if they, how would they know if they needed your services?
3: All of our um, referrals from birth to five go through one number. Earlene Spicer takes our um, all of our referrals, and her number. When,
2: yeah, and her number is three one nine three nine nine six seven four
0: six. And so, why would a person want to call? Um, you know, if they, what reason might they want to call to to get in touch with you? If we, um, early
3: access has a couple of ways for a child to be eligible. If they have a condition that we know through research indicates that there's a good probability that they will have delays developmentally, they would automatically be eligible. That would be a condition like Down syndrome, spina bifida, um, cerebral palsy, some neurological kinds of things. As the child gets a little older, if they have been diagnosed with attachment disorder or autism, that sort of thing they would automatically be eligible otherwise most of our referrals come from parents or physicians or childcare providers because of concerns about potential delays we've got a child who's 12 months and they aren't crawling or they aren't pulling up or an 18 to 2 year old 18 month to 2 year old child who's not saying any words that sort of
0: thing Okay, so those are examples of some milestones then um, mm-hmm. that new and expecting parents will be learning about if they don't already familiar aren't familiar with that, um, and when they go to their well baby checkups, then um, that's when they kind of get asked about those yeah, milestones. The Dr. or the
1: pediatrician will usually mm-hmm. notice things. They, I mean, they come in, they watch for them looking. I have an eight month old, and yeah, she just she'll she say, oh, she's you know tracing tracking me, and you know different mm-hmm. different things like that. So. Do, do physicians usually cue parents in, especially new parents? Yes. Yeah. So
2: like during their wellness checkups, um, we sometimes get new referrals from mm-hmm. physicians, mm-hmm. Um, pediatricians who see maybe a delay, um, and then they refer the parent to us to um, evaluate and see if um, the child is eligible for our mm-hmm. services. I think physicians are getting
3: better and better about noticing those kinds of things, rather than just checking weight and height, and mm-hmm. you know, giving and you know, uh, the shots and that sort of thing. Many, it's not uncommon anymore for physicians to be using st- actual developmental screeners mm-hmm. like ages and stages, uh-huh. questionnaires. I don't know whether your yeah. physician does that. Yeah, they give that. us
1: each, yeah, yes. each whatever, six, mm-hmm. um, three, six, mm-hmm. whatever, and it says what they should be doing. Oh, and good. From everything to like feeding to like, yeah, what, yes. what milestones. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. That's very good to hear. That's mm-hmm.
3: that's relatively new within the past few years mm-hmm. that physicians are starting to
1: do that. And even with my, we have a toddler, too, and mm-hmm. at his two-year, they gave us a big packet full of things, you know, of what you might expect in the year mm-hmm. and, you know, things like that. So, yeah, it's really that's a helpful good. tool. Yes, very that's, good.
0: That's great to hear. My youngest is 11, almost mm-hmm. 12, and this, I have not seen no, this.
3: No, no. It's really within the last couple of years, mm-hmm. I think. Um, that people, the physicians, are doing more of that. And I would love to see more and more Mm -hmm. because in years past, we would hear the the parents say, well, the doctor said, let's just wait and see. Let's just Mm -hmm. wait and see. But truly, Carrie and I know that the earlier we can get started, the better chance the child has to make better progress.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And that is kind of hard to discern because I remember, too, like some of my boys were um, a little bit later with their speech, and there was kind of like a wide range of what's acceptable or normal
3: that's very true <laughs> you know for, for instance walking you know nine to 18 months is normal mm-hmm. so that is a wide range but oh, wow. there are some precursors you know if they're not you know if they're not using one side as much as the other you know, muscle muscles and that sort of thing or you know, there are other things that the doctors can be looking for mm-hmm. besides just walking. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the way in which they move, the quality and, and that sort of thing. Okay.
0: And so when a, a parent is referred to you, is there a charge for these services? Oh, I'm glad you asked that.
3: No, <laughs> there isn't. Um, we always say that there's no cost to parents. It's um, paid through <clears throat> excuse me, state and federal dollars. So, you know, it comes through tax dollars,
2: of, you know, and just like the school districts, that sort of thing. And our services also are completely voluntary, so if you start our services and um, you see progress and the parent sees progress and they want to exit, you can exit at any time our program Mm -hmm. as well. Mm
3: -hmm. You know, one of the things that has shifted in the last several years as well is that we don't work necessarily with just the child. Our intent is truly to coach the parents because our staff, Carrie and others are our service coordinators, then we have service providers. We have teachers, speech language pathologists, physical therapists, occupational therapists, autism consultants, um, teachers of the deaf and hard of hearing, teachers of the visually impaired. And, and so we have these providers who go into the homes to work with the children. Well, we go into the homes or wherever the child is. It could be a child care center. It could be grandma's house. We use, we talk about the natural environment. We want to go where the child is because we truly believe they're going to perform best when they're comfortable in their setting and their environment. But what, we're be, what we've really been focusing on the last three to five years is that coaching piece so that when we're not there, the parent or the caregiver know what to do to help the child with whatever those needs are or the strategies we've been talking about. So there's been a real shift in not so much direct service with the child, Mm -hmm. but coaching with the family so that they um, become that Strong advocate for their child, but also knowing what to do and and then getting excited and they 're the ones that see those bursts of vocabulary and that sort of thing it's you know we want we want the parent to feel that. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great. That's good to hear. Um, that is similar to our womb literacy initiative where we as well are not focusing necessarily on the child. Um, they're still in the womb, but it's working with that expecting parent and, and the expecting family yes. and trying to get that reading routine developed beforehand. Um, also helping them to feel more confident in their role as their child's first teacher by listening, for example, to these podcasts. So, you know, it lets them kind of in parent terms, you know, talk and, and find out about information uh, so they you know, like you said, are just more aware and can see then you know the results of their efforts, right, right.
2: yeah, and so the parent is their first teacher, right um, so Yeah, that, that's, that's true, like what early access
0: promotes that's great, great yeah, to know wonderful. um some other <clears throat> services that you provide um also work with um autistic children, and is that correct? Yes, so our resource team uh <clears throat>
2: Autism resource team um, works with children um, who might um, be at risk for Mm -hmm. autism or for um, delays socially, not just with autism. Sometimes there's joint attention um, where they're not um, making back and forth interactions with peers or with their parents. They'll do some assessment
3: of the children to see, are they really looking at the adult um, and and we're again we're getting much more response from the medical world they have a screening tool that, that physicians can use called the mchat which i probably won't remember it's but it's it's a it's a screening tool for autism with very mm-hmm. young toddlers okay and it's looking at you know do they make eye contact do they try to engage your your 8 month old probably loves to have you look at mm-hmm. her and you know and if you don't she's m- making noise to get you to look at yeah. her and and she delights in that mm-hmm. back and forth some children don't mm-hmm. and many parents don't notice that because they're quiet and and easy babies they're easy toddlers because they're fine going off and playing by themselves and not really caring whether you're there or not but those are the kinds of things that we really look for how much do they interact that's the biggest thing is how much do they interact with the adults and the peers in their lives if they have older siblings and that sort of thing. So we're doing a lot of work like that, as, as Carrie said, that joint attention. Are they joining in attention with another person? Mm-hmm. And if not, that's a huge red flag for us to bring in our autism services. But then it gets beyond that because certainly that eye contact and smiling between is a fairly infantile kind of development. And then it gets beyond, are they, Are they? Um, how is their play? Are they really purposeful in their play? Or is it just very repetitive kinds of things over and over, the same kind of thing? So our autism consultants are very, very good at looking at and noticing those kinds of uh, very developmental kinds of things that start early. And we've been working excuse me, with Florida State University on several projects throughout the state of Iowa. And one of the projects we've done with them is called Autism Navigator, which is a class that some of our staff enter, and it helps them s- start noticing those red flags much earlier on. And we, they use a lot of videotapes where they'll show a child that is at risk for having autism and a child who's naturally developing and just show those... At 12 mm-hmm. months, those real slight differences about the one child who may play with a toy and focus much more on the toy than the parent, where the other child may be playing with the toy, but then they want mom or dad or the other person to know what they're doing, and mm-hmm. and so they they hold it up, and they it's again that joint attention, that joint okay. attention. <clears throat> on a toy with somebody else. So we've got lots of great resources like that. And then, as Carrie had mentioned, our autism resource team, we have the autism consultants, but then we have some paraeducators who work mm-hmm. with them. And they spend more time going into the home to really provide much more intense services so that these children and the parents learn how to do that and, and what to look for in that back and forth
2: play. So the autism resource team might come in three or four times a week. Where um, maybe a developmental specialist or a teacher might come, um, maybe once or twice a month. Oh, okay. so it's really intense. <clears throat> um,
0: and I assume the earlier you can diagnose that, or at least be aware of it, the better it is for the child. Yes, and. And I to, Amy, I'm i glad you mentioned
3: the word diagnose, because we never diagnose for autism. We're talking about red flags for children who are at risk. And many of the children we have, because they're so young, have not received a diagnosis from the university or a physician or um, Center for Disabilities and De- Development. So that's where they go if and when the parent feels like, yes, I really want to know if there is a diagnosis here or not. We don't require that diagnosis in order to have our services with our autism team we just depend upon our autism consultants to to use their expertise to say, yes, this child is at risk because okay. of some of the lack of interaction skills and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm.
0: That's so um, useful of information. I remember back when my boys you know were in play groups and stuff, and so you could there is such a wide range oh, you know yes. of, of kids mm-hmm. in their developmental mm-hmm. stages, but um, sometimes as a parent, you might just have a feeling that something might be a little bit mm-hmm. off or you know they are a little bit behind or mm-hmm. and of course reaching them before they enter school. I assume is is your best kind of hope that to get them resources if they do need it. Yes.
3: I would say, you know, going back to just early access in general, by far the highest number of referrals we get are for children with communication concerns. Either they're not talking or they're not talking where other people can understand them. And I had a, a colleague who several years ago would say Speech and language is what gets them in the door, and then sometimes as we get to Mm -hmm. assessing them and evaluating them, we realize that there's more to it. That perhaps the communication isn't there because they have lower cognition. You know, they're Mm -hmm. they're they're just not thinking as as um, developmentally appropriately or because they might be on the autism spectrum and and they're not as interested in communicating, that sort of thing. So um, it's it's definitely our highest number Mm -hmm. of referrals, but sometimes once we start working with them, we realize there's a little bit more to it. But many times it is just a
0: delayed speech and language development. And that's actually my oldest son um, when he started preschool. You know, the teacher, I was kind of heartbroken. She's like, I'm sorry, I just don't understand him. And I was kind of shocked because I was delayed with speech. I remember my parents still to this day say, you know, grandma always said something was wrong with you. (laughs) You know, because I wasn't talking, you know, and of course, back in those days, you know, they, they of course, didn't have those services, Um, you know, but, and I could understand, you know, my son Mm -hmm. and stuff. And so then we did get some assistance and, you know, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, he didn't have further, you know, that issues that we needed to to work with, but it was just that speech delay. So then we Mm -hmm. started, you know, taking him in then for um, speech assistance. But that was, you know, when he was in kindergarten or started at preschool. Yes,
3: yes. And language is such a precursor For literacy, that you know, it's real important for us to really look at this and listen to it, and then make sure we are trying to address it. Because if children have a hard time getting their ideas across, or have a hard time sounding words, then then the literacy might might be a little delayed as well. So
1: I always find it. Well, I have you know, three year old son and. you know, he'll talk, like, I'm always surprised at home. He, you know, I can can most of the time completely understand him. And then sometimes, you know, you want him to talk to somebody. And I don't know if it's just that whole, you know, you put him on the spot and then they're like. <laughs> yes. He does this, like, whisper thing. And, like, people are like, mm-hmm. what are you saying? <laughs> so it's just, you know, like, how they are from home and their comfort yes. again. Back to, like, you know.
3: And I was just gonna say, Melanie, yeah, that just exactly illustrates why we wanna see them in their natural environment. Because mm-hmm. when they're with somebody they know and trust, mm-hmm. they're gonna be much more showing us their best. Yeah. You know. If yeah. if we took them to Grantwood and took them off into a little room by themselves,
1: they're like, they Where probably, are we at? What are we yes, doing? Why are we here? Yes,
3: they probably would <laughs> shut down a lot more. Yeah. So okay. that's exactly why we do the natural environment. Mm-hmm. We want the but child. it does
1: make you even those for me as a mom, you're like, Okay, mm-hmm. is you know, is everything going okay? You know, why is he, you know, usually an outgoing kid, but then you get somewhere, or he has to talk to somebody, and then suddenly he's like, shy, or like, you know, and that's not uncommon. a little bit harder yeah. to understand. You're like, what are you, what are you saying, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> what do you
0: want? Well, and so. all three of my boys have received speech services at some point or whatever when they were in, in school mm-hmm. and elementary and stuff, so I suppose that's probably pretty common. Like you said, that's, You know, probably, um, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of the beginning that Mm -hmm. they can start digging deeper.
3: And that's the one thing we as parents notice, you know. We may not realize other kinds of development, but we know when a child's talking or not talking, or we know when we or others can't understand them.
0: Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. right, and then all of a sudden they were asking all, you know all these different things like can they do two things at one time, or you know then it really kind of started yes. th- you know digging deeper and stuff, mm-hmm. so I, I do appreciate the services because I believe we uh, worked with Grant Wood for a, a little bit with my oldest, and so I do appreciate because as a first time parent you know if if you don 't have other parents mm-hmm. you know sure. as well to refer to, or mm-hmm. you know since I knew I was late in speaking, my husband was as well, we thought oh that 's you know just fine and And it's just the way it is yeah he's 18 now and talking away so so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i guess we can kind of um talk about um a program that we've started doing here in the last year at the library um along with or in partnership with the iowa city autism community um of iowa city and um I guess their, their website I have here is um, autismiowacity.org so if you want more information about them um, and what their mission is um, you can look at their website but um, we do a bi-monthly um, program here in the library after hours um, generally on a Friday night and um, it's just for um, a more inclusive environment um, for everyone experiencing sensory um, processing disorders um, that would benefit from, like, a quieter environment. Um, and then our, our attendees are mostly children with the autism and their families, but um, that, that, that hour um, is open to anybody. Um, the next event we have is on October 6th at 530 um, here at the library for um, a Halloween activity. Um, there's going to be, like, a Halloween story time a visit from Emma, the therapy dog. Do you guys work with, um, like, animals or therapy?
3: Not officially.
1: No, mm. no. Um, <clears throat> and just things for that. Um, siblings are welcome also. And then coming up in December, oh, I guess then in December 8th will be our next one, and we don't have full details on that yet. But um, So that's some things that the library is trying to do um, to offer times for, you know, Mm -hmm. children with autism or families. um, If some of your
3: listeners have very young children, as I mentioned earlier, we've been working with um, Florida State with Autism Navigator, Mm -hmm. and they refer us often to a website called First Words, and they have some really good handouts for families. There's this one, 16 gestures by 16 months. Again, nice... Information for families to have, and I mentioned 16 gestures to, by 16 months to my daughter in law when mm-hmm. their youngest was about you know, almost, about 15 months. She said, Oh my, I don't think he has 16 gestures. But when she, when you stop and think about, you know, if they reach up for you to pick them up, or if they point at something, or if they go, Shh, you know, just lots of different things. kisses and things yeah, like that, kisses, all kinds of things. You know, again, gestures precede. Um, words, mm-hmm. so just helping parents realize the value in communication that gestures there are other provide. Ways of communicating. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But they have other kinds of, of handouts as well about communication checklists, 9 to 24 months, and how to support social <coughs> communication development. And then they also talk about the um, advantage of making everyday moments count and that's one thing we talk a lot about in early access is the value and the importance of daily routines we try to help our families understand how to use the strategies in whatever they're doing throughout the day whether they're unloading the dishwasher getting the mail um, diapering the child or playing with the child on the floor but in reality most parents don't spend a lot of time sitting on the floor and playing with their child so that's why we try to look at okay What do you do? You know, do you have them in the car with you for half an hour to daycare? Well, what can you do in the car? And, Mm -hmm. you know, just really trying to look at each individual family's Mm -hmm. routines and building the strategies into
1: that. That's wonderful.
0: That's great. Um, So for our listeners, if you were interested in finding more out about this First Words Project, the website is all one word, First Words with an S Project. So F-I-R-S-T-W-O-R-D-S. P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot com. Okay, and that has a lot. I just brought it up here. It's got a lot of interesting information, and in that 16 by 16 you were talking about is on there. So um, go ahead, you guys, and take a, a look at that if you want some more information. Um, That is. um, The NorthLibertyLibrary.org is our website, Um, so you can take a look at that to find out about our programs and that uh, Autism Night that's coming up on October 6th. I had the pleasure of of being at one of our earlier programs. I think we've hosted two, maybe two or three. Um, The families really enjoy coming. You don't have to be a patron of the North Liberty Library. We can certainly sign you up and get you a card that night. However, um, but anyone in your family, your whole family is welcome to come. So dads are there. Um, We turn the lights down low, as Melanie mentioned. So it's just a nice environment. Mm -hmm. It's not stressful with, you know, a lot of other patrons around. um, Not all that extra activity. We had some teens who just kind of went into the teen room and were playing you know, the we, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and they enjoyed doing that. And so it was just a great opportunity for them to come in and experience the library and utilize our resources. So we invite them everyone movie
1: nights and different things. And that's just, you know, so that it's a little more comfortable for them in, in that environment, you know, where going to a movie theater might be overwhelming. But mm-hmm. if they can come here and we're not worried about if there's noise or, you know, being, you know, being quiet mm-hmm. or um, that sort of thing that, you um, those are available but yeah it's for all ages
0: yeah um and so Grantwood AA doesn't necessarily have events correct
3: we do a lot of professional development for teachers. In schools, we have those events at the 6th Street facility. When I think about events for early access, I mm-hmm. can't think of any events. We do have staff who are willing to go and talk with parent groups or talk with, you know, our, we work with other agencies like Head Start and Early Head Start and that sort of thing. So we sometimes share resources and, you know, like our autism consultants may go and visit with them. Um but the AEA in general is, is quite large. We employ about 500 people mm-hmm. who work a lot in the schools um, doing those related services like physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech-language pathology, as well as doing evaluations and support to special ed students and teachers. So with school psychs, special ed consultants, and social workers. And then there's so much more. That's just the special ed piece. The AEA has a lot of media support for the schools and organizational, um, they help with technology, that sort of thing. Many, many services. I often think that AEAs are the best kept secrets. You know, unless you're in the schools, you don't necessarily know about the AEAs, but they they provide a lot of services to all the people. We serve 32 school districts within a seven county area. Yeah.
0: And talking about all the different services you provide. I was surprised uh, looking at your website exactly, you know like working with the teachers and, mm-hmm. and all that you guys do. Um, so if you want to find out about some additional resources that Grantwood AEA does offer, you can check their website out, which is www.aea10, the number 10. Mm-hmm. Dot k12. The number 12, .ia.us, and we will have them linked as well on our website, so um, you can go ahead and, and take a look there. The phone number, I think, is that correct? Is it 319-399-6700? Yes, that's correct. And that gets you out to the... Um, that gets you to the, the receptionist. Okay, and great.
3: you can ask for, you know, what services you're interested in if you're looking for early access or early childhood or school-age support, or technology, or media, that sort of thing.
0: Okay, and Carrie, could you please share with us Mm -hmm. again if they were looking specifically for early access support, that phone number? Yes, so to refer to early access,
2: um, you can call 319-399-6746.
3: And that's the same number for 3- to 5-year-olds as well, if they have concerns about having an evaluation for your 3- to 5-year-old.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. And then before we end today's podcast, did you have anything else you wanted to share? Otherwise, um, we would be interested in knowing, Jean, Carrie, if you would mind sharing um, with the listeners a favorite story, story time, <laughs> book, anything like that. So, um, my parents um, used to read Goodnight Moon to me mm-hmm. before
2: I went to bed. Good. And oh, I just, used to like remember just going through and flipping the pages when I was younger and just reading. Trying to read it myself, mm-hmm.
0: so that's always a popular favorite. I'm glad yeah, you were yeah. able to enjoy yeah. that. Um,
2: I honestly am not
3: remembering much from when I was a child. It was so long ago, but I remember <laughs> with my own children, um, they loved the Dr. Seuss Hop on Pop and. Um, one fish, two fish, that sort of thing. But also, I, I don't know how many times I read, Are you my mother? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I yes. know that one over and over. And now that I have grandchildren, one that they've really enjoyed is Goodnight Gorilla. I like that one yeah. too. Yep, yeah, my kiddos like that one. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I actually have a granddaughter in first grade and a grandson in second grade. So they're starting to read a little bit. So they read to me things like the biscuit books, uh-huh. you know, the Biscuit and yeah, puppy. and yeah, mm-hmm. the little puppy. So, <laughs> Lots and lots of good
0: books out there. Yeah. Wonderful. So listeners, those are a couple good options. If you're um, expecting or or a new parent right now that you can um, actually come to the library. We have all of those titles here, so you could check those out. Um, Just as a summary today um, of what we talked about, uh, we had Jeannie and Carrie here from Grantwood AEA. They shared with us the variety of resources that they offer uh, from birth up to school age. And then once the kids get into school, there's a lot of resources as well. Working with the teachers and um, the referrals that they get, so check their website out uh, for some additional information on that. The early access that deals with uh, those kids from birth to three—is that the correct age? Correct. Um, and how support that you can get for them if you're concerned about their milestones or if the doctor refers you um, for maybe a little bit more support to see how they're how they're doing. Um, we also talked about the um, autism resource team that you guys um, have available and the um, resource Autism Night that we have here at our library. Hopefully you uh, found some additional information about, you know, if you are expecting, you don't need these resources immediately right now, but they tuck that away in the back of your head and, um, you know, because you'll be going to those doctor visits pretty soon and getting quizzed on
1: what they're doing and <laughs> not doing everything
0: how often? <laughs> so hopefully that'll help you feel a little more confident um you know and what to look for and be aware of and where to turn to then if you feel you do need some additional support
1: thank you so much for joining thank us today bet. and for the wonderful information and resources thank you for inviting us yes. thank you <laughs>